Howdy, folks. Welcome back to another episode of Meta Ideological Politics. I'm your host, Ryan Akata, and I am completely exhausted. I just got back from Washington, D.C. last night and just woke up. But uh, that's neither here nor there because I'm very excited about this discussion we're about to have between my two friends, uh, Josh Leonard, who we've interviewed on the podcast before. He is the executive director at the Institute of Cultural Evolution and also now I don't know, heads or spearheads the post-progressive post and post-progressive uh, movement and, and philosophy. So uh, welcome, Josh. Great to have you back on. Thanks, Ryan. Glad to be here. And I'm also thrilled to have on my former uh, podcast co-host, Jeremy Johnson. Uh, Jeremy and I founded the uh, Growing Down podcast together with uh, Matt Hudkins, and uh, we started the Integral Left Facebook group and have been uh, discussing interesting things since 2018, 2019. So we've known each other for a little bit now, and it's great to have uh, Comrade Johnson. Welcome. Thanks, Ryan. It's good to be here. We've uh, really been enjoying your podcast. Thank you. Thank you. And, and I'm really excited to have this discussion because I know that there's recently been a few exchanges on the Integral Left Facebook group, uh, maybe exploring some of the tensions and differences, and perhaps on this podcast, converging on some similarities between post-progressivism post and I don't know what you would call it, Jeremy, integral leftism, cosmopolitan socialism. What, what label would you use to describe more or less your position? I, I don't know. Um, integrally informed, but also drawing from left scholarship and traditions, maybe deeply informed by the left, but coming from a more integrally informed overall position. So you could call that integral left. That's just been our, our kind of easy term and, and it kind of sparks discussion as well. So it, and ends up being usually pretty fruitful to start with that. Cool. Yeah, we can use we can use integral left uh, as kind of a catch-all label here. And um, so, so Jeremy, let me start with you. So, how would you frame um, this discussion we're about to have? Right. Like we've talked about this before, um, and and some of those differences that inspired us to start the Growing Down podcast. So, how would you describe what you know how you're kind of vectoring into this discussion, exploring some of these tensions and similarities and differences? Oh gosh, it's a big question, right? Um, I think for me, what I'm what I'm what I'm doing with the integral left and what we were doing with the the Growing Down podcast is really just giving a chance to deep dive into leftist literature, academics, scholarship. You know, drawing from the critique from Marx, drawing from the critique uh, by socialist scholars about the kind of how capitalism works, right? What are its problems and conditions? Um, and then what do we do in terms of creating exit strategies from this situation? And I'm not just talking about economics. I mean, the whole cultural situation, right? Ideologically, how do we get out of the kind of hyper-polarized, hyper-atomized and fragmented culture? And can we reshape things, right? Is, is there a better world? Is a better social world possible? And how does consciousness studies and integral theory and these sort of big picture uh, forms of analysis help to inform that. And basically seeing uh, left-leaning scholarship as an ally in that, something that is usually has some kind of deep picture, right? Or deep piece of the puzzle that needs to be integrated and typically isn't because very often, at least in, in uh, consciousness culture circles and spaces, um, at least more popularized ones, there tends to be more kind of, kind of an implicit centrist ideology. And a lot of those things aren't really checked or they aren't really thought through or at least sufficiently critiqued and run through the gauntlet enough, right, of a, more of a, a left-leaning scholarship to kind of address those issues and concerns. Um, so once we do that, 
we move into this bigger discussion of how does the left help social evolution, right? Or social transformation or the emergence of a planetary culture and what does that look like? So that's kind of like the broad image I, I, I get from this. It, we're interested, all of us, I think, in how do we transform the world and what's going on underneath, underneath the hood, underneath the surface that helps us understand those processes. Yeah, same question for you, Josh. Uh, how do you view this discussion? How would you frame this discussion? kind of at the meta level, and then anything you want to respond to with what Jeremy said? Yeah, I think, um, I guess the way that I, I'm approaching this conversation is, you know, sort of a dialogue uh, around how, um, you know, it's really interesting. I think you bring up this idea that like, you know, you've got, you've got sort of the integral, integrally informed aspect of political philosophy. And then you've got, you know, you've got sort of, call them older is not quite fair, but because they're constantly involving themselves. Right? You've got these sort of older political positions that we've sort of inherited from, you know, our culture and from the world and from history. And, you know, how those intersect is really interesting to me. Um, and, you know, it's, it's funny on the integral uh, left Facebook group, I was telling Ryan, I get to be, um, I get to be the subversive moderate, which is uh, sort of fun. We don't usually, when we're, you know, <laughs> a little bit more moderate sensibilities, we don't generally get to come in and feel like we're the, uh, we're, we're the outsider who has to sort of advocate for a, a um, more minority position. So it's sort of fun to be in that. And, you know, personally, in my own politics, I've, I've been sort of center left, right? I mean, I've had times where I've certainly, you know, advocated for a more progressive position. Uh, but, you know, I, I think especially since I was introduced to Integral like 20, you know, almost 25 years ago now, I sort of gathered an understanding of how polarities work in the Integral sort of perspective. And, you know, the more I worked with that, the more I found that, you know, it's important to take the best, the tr isolate what is the truth in each of these different sort of uh, established left and right political positions and find ways to integrate them into something that's a higher synthesis of both and that, and, and that um, uses the strengths and the truths and the, you know, kind of um, more clear focused position of each of them and find ways to integrate those into a larger whole. So, you know, to call what I'm doing Centrism is or my perspective on this centrist. I don't think is I don't think is right. Um, you know, if anything, let's call it, you know, you know, maybe metacentrism is the better way of putting it in the sense that it is trying to integrate the the polarity truths in the left and the right, but that um, we don't think that that means re that represents some static position in between these two polarities that's trying to pull them all towards the middle. We actually think that you know to get the best solutions, you need to integrate you know different ways of taking the the, the core truths in each of those positions and bringing them forward in a in a way that's more harmonizing. Now that's easy to say, it's difficult to do, you know when we actually do policy pieces, for example, through the Institute for Culture Evolution, they end up being fairly centrist policy positions because you know in a, from a policy level. We're trying to take the best of the ideas that are out there right now and integrate them into something that can move us forward. Um, so, you know, I guess I think there's a healthy tension there, and there's always going to be healthy tension. If I was having a conversation with someone from the meta right, to use a better term, then you know I would be playing the sort of same role 
that I would imagine I'm going to be playing in this conversation, which is to say, well, how are you integrating, you know, the truth to the left? How are you integrating, you know, the principles that that uh, are sort of more communitarian or whatever the, the way we might define leftism? Um, so, you know, I see my role, you know, at the Institute for Cultural Evolution is to really be holding both of those sides at the same time in mind and not to be ideologically like pinning myself to one side or the other. Um, and so, you know, I do think there's an open question about whether you can pin yourself to one, you know, ideological position on the political spectrum and, and still be coming from that sort of truly integral sensibility. And this seems to be kind of the crux of the discussion, right? Because the, the accusation, I, I would imagine, coming from both sides that uh, post-progressivism or uh, different expressions of, of integral-esque uh, politics uh, can contain an implicit kind of centrism or even be, as I think Lehman Pascal would say, you know, kind of co-opted by a de facto centrism when you try to hold the polarities, uh, even if, even if um, you know, what you guys, Josh, at, at uh, Post Progressive, um, explicitly talk about how you're not centrist and contrast yourself with uh, conventional forms of centrism, that kind of element is still always kind of lurking in the discussion, right? Yep, yep. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, we've thought a lot about how this works. And so, you know, one of the things that we've realized is that if, if let's say we're trying to write something that articulates a, a point of view. And if you try to write something um, and you're including sort of both, and for, you know, forgive the terms left and right, there's so many different ways we could de define those. I, I know that we, it's more nuanced than, I'm going to be using those terms in in this conversation, but just for the sake of argument, let's you know let's let's hold those terms as uh, something we can kind of work with. But um, if I was trying to write something and I'm trying to come from sort of both the left and the right position at the same time, it can often become really mealy mouthed, right? Because you're 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 trying to um, sort of integrate them in the same moment in the same statement in the same <laughs> sentence or, or or paragraph structure and so when you do that it ends up coming across as sort of without the force that that like a, a more idealized form of the left and the right have and so one of the ways that we conceive of this is like we want to sort of create some cognitive dissonance when we're when we're communicating these integral politics ideas because sometimes you might find us taking a what is a fairly clean position from the right as a counterbalance to something that's going on in a culture that we want to that we need that we feel like we need to critique and then the next moment you might find us like supporting you know some really important piece that the you know progressives are 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 championing that we think you know has to be championed and then the next minute you might hear us critique something from the right that's arising in the culture and so the sort of better metaphor than the sort of center point between two polarities is that the left and the right and, and polarities in general represent sort of a left leg, right leg piece. And so we get forward movement by championing one side of that polarity and letting it push back against the, you know, essentially gain forward momentum. 
off of the, you know, of a critique of the other side. And then forward movement happens when the other side then propels off of that and tries to correct for the imbalances that come up from a, you know, sort of unipolar perspective. So that's sort of the metaphor that we're working with here is the left and the right are advancing and, and through the, the dynam dynamism and the dialectic of those two polarities, society moves forward by including both of those. But you don't move forward by jumping with both you know, legs at the same time. That's not gonna be nearly as efficient as, and, and not gonna have the energy behind it as if you're running by, by this sort of alternating polarity approach. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense to me, Josh. I, I wouldn't disagree um, in theory with most of what, what you're describing here. I mean, this is essentially what a lot of Marxists and, and socialists talk about in terms of the dialectic, in terms of working with opposites and finding synthesis and kind of working out those contradictions and conflicts of um, economic and class struggle, et cetera. And then with that struggle, something new emerges, right? And then there's something else that happens there, that polarity and it continues. So this is very much at the foundation of a lot of um, socialist and left scholarship, just in terms of like who I'm reading between like Leo Panach or David Harvey, this, this is something that's kind of implicit in the thinking. Um, so I don't have any real disagreements there in terms of that abstractly. I, I guess for me, um, what I've tended to see in, in a lot of our circles is in theory or in abstraction or in in claim, as you say, it's easy to claim, okay, there's a kind of movement here, there's a kind of polarity, we can go back and forth. But I don't see the movement to the left very often by a lot of uh, integralists in terms of actually reading the theory. I see a lot of commentary on, you know, contemporary events, and particularly sort of general overview positions of what leftists or what progressives would say, as if you could yep. go down to um, I saw this happen during Occupy years ago. Um, and the CNN news crews would go down to Occupy Wall Street and pull a kid off the street and, and, and ask them questions about the 99%. And you could kind of get a generic version of who a leftist is by arguing or, or talking with those individuals. But in terms of the actual kind of substantive policy positions or integrative theories, on the left, I think there is a lot of that kind of mediation between more conservative values and more progressive values and in terms of how do we win, right? What are the strategies? How do we reach, for instance, um, you know, I'll, bring, I'll just bring this up in terms of the complexity here. Um, I, re I really appreciated like Jane McAlevey's work on labor unions and unionization. And so much of what she talks about, I feel like you could just pull right out of that discourse on the left and, and put right into a kind of spiral dynamics or um, integral conversation about different centers of value gravity and how to mediate those in a work environment and how to successfully create solidarity across those values. This is what so many folks on the left, particularly those who are kind of on the ground and doing that kind of difficult work of working with particular populations to meet successful economic goals or solidarity goals or unionization goals they're dealing with all of that, right? And so the scholarship is, is in my mind, very complex. So I'm not in disagreement with you, but I'm just saying we're talking about all this already on the left. So, which is why I'm saying for me, um, that was the exciting thing that was kind of coming from the integrally informed position and seeing a kind of implicit integrality in the complexity of leftist scholarship and, and activism, but also seeing some of the critiques that the hyperpolarization that you're commenting on certainly does exist. And critiques from the left tend to be 
um, much more integrative of the other polarity, right? They much more integrative of, well, okay, why are um, Trump voters coming from this position? What's their history like? What's their socioeconomic background? What's their religious tradition? How do we understand where they're coming from so we can have conversations with them? And maybe in some, like the point is successfully kind of convert political action into a different direction, right? So, um, so obviously there's disagreements, but there's a, there's a willingness to kind of transpose our perspective into the other, really try to understand that, integrate that and build a different solidarity, um, which is directed towards political action, right? So um, maybe the third example would just be a lot of the conversations these days, particularly in, in the wake of uh, the, the recent uh, elections and then the, the, the sort of midterms coming up is, you know, how successful can uh, extremely left-leaning DSA-oriented uh, candidates be, right, compared to more centrist candidates. And I would say just even statistically, uh, in terms of the popularity of the particular material positions they're putting forward, and then um, the, the actual win rate of, of a lot of these folks, they're doing very well in comparison to a lot of centrist Democrats. And be, they're doing this because they're focusing on material concerns, right, between different mimetic value groups, your healthcare, your household, your work, right? Like, is your work local, right? Do you have enough um, resources to support your family? And finding ways to talk about that kind of bridges the gap across different racial and cultural divides, even religious ones. So, so mimetic mediation is at the core, I think, of successful activism and labor organization, et cetera. Now, I'll pause here, but I know there's this larger um, um, cultural eruption happening where there's a lot of polarization and there's a lot of mudslinging and oppositionalism. And that's, that's certainly going on, but that's, that's another more complica complicated layer of this conversation we can kind of add on. But Yeah, there's a lot to respond there too. Let me see if I can um, kind of capture each of those points. So if there's something I missed, we can come back to it. Um, you know, I guess what I would say is, is there needs to be a distinction made between potentially integral left and progressivism as it's sort of, you know, manifesting itself in the culture right now, because, um, you know, even if you end up, you know, again, sort of deciding that I'm coming from this particular political position, but you're doing so from an integral, integral standpoint, you have an understanding of how those polarities work, you have an understanding of how, you know, the dynamics um, of polarity, you know, fit into that, you, you understand that there are truths that counterbalance the ones that, you know, that you were most animated by and you decide you, you champion. So even that is going to be very different potentially from the way that progressivism is expressing itself in the culture. And I think that is where our critique comes in the strongest. So there's a couple, you know, we, I get asked in my, you know, new role all the time, how it seems like you're picking on the left, it seems like you're picking on progressivism. Why is that? And there's a couple, you know, answers that we, we would give to that. Um, number one is that, you know, our, our, the entire sort of framework of, of integral um, development is that these 
you know, these, these new developments of worldviews or perspectives come in some ways in opposition to the previous one, right? And, you know, you can see the, that it's correcting for uh, the, the, the worldviews that arose before it um, and trying to deal with some of the externalities and trying to, you know, it, it's like a counterpoint. And so, um, you know, our framework is that, you know, integral or post-progressive comes after uh, the progressive or green worldview arises and needs to be a, to some degree, a mitigating force against the more unhealthy or kind of uh, fundamentalist application of that particular worldview. There's nothing wrong with progressivism. There's nothing wrong with green in the sense that it is an absolutely natural and, and critical stage in the development of our society that that has to arise to correct for the externalities and the you know fundamentalism of, of orange or modernism. Um, so, so, so that's part of the reason why we're, we're concentrating on uh, progressivism right now. I think the other piece is that there's a, there is, you know, more, you can make too much of this idea of first tier and second tier. It can be over, it can be overplayed, but I do think that there is a, a there is something to the concept that stages after, you know, postmodern progressivism are essentially include the best and the truths of all the previous sort of stages, that there's something really important to that and that, that, and that what is happening culturally right now is that progressivism is so, sort of a strange word to use in relation to something on the left, but it's so, it's so uh, reactive in the sense that it is, it, is, it is not just like trying to transcend um, modernism, but it's trying to destroy modernism. It ultimately there's a there's a a way in which it is it is at least in its you know many of its expressions is so antithetical to these previous structures that it's creating this huge backlash and it's also creating um, and, and you know the left is not completely responsible for the backlash right the backlash people who, who are backlash against that are also responsible for the backlash and that's another conversation that we can have. But to me, the idea is there's a there's a little bit of a cork in the bottle, and that um, there are just a lot of uh, there's 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 we've got the sort of cultural leader, which is progressivism, that is is sort of reacting in such an antithetical stance to the stages that previously came before it, that it's it's keeping the spiral from sort of growing and moving forward because it's it's kind of capped the growth because a lot of people are saying i i don't identify with that i cannot come to like embrace that approach to politics or culture or whatever that progressivism is and and i think that's part of what we're trying to do in post progressive post progressivism is take many of the goals and values of green progressivism and champion them in a uh, more integrative more um, less antithetical uh, manner that that basically um, can actually get get them moving forward. We're just we just feel like it's such a reactionary approach that it's you know it, it's not going to gain political power uh, in and of itself because of that sort of antithetical stance. So anyway, that's that was a, a long sort of statement, but that's part of the reason why we're focusing so much of our attention on progressivism because it's 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 gumming up the works of the whole system
Yeah, let me let me jump in here because it sounds like there there are two points of tension that I want to capture and, and get your response to that, Jeremy. Right. So the first one is where should we focus our critique? Right. We have a limited amount of time and energy and resources, uh, and every every time we we spend. Uh, you know, we focus time on critiquing someone or some side, that's an opportunity cost, right? So there's a question of where should we focus our critique and how do we determine what's most important to critique, right? And I know, Jeremy, a lot of your focus on critique is, you know, from a Gibsarian angle, right? It's the kind of, uh, it's the economic, the toxic and unhealthy economic crystallizations of the mental rational structure, i.e., you know, this capitalist system that we live in. I, I, that, that's my, my kind of uh, understanding of when kind of where you focus your attention on. So I guess my question is, you know, not only what do we focus on and how do we determine, you know, what to focus on to critique? Um, and also what Josh was actually, yeah, let me just, let me just stop there and get, get a response to that, Jeremy. Yeah, yeah, good. So yes, I, I, think, I think part of the search for an exit strategy from hyperpolarization is finding that third, right? Now, I, I hear Josh articulating it as post-progressivism, and in some ways, I have a different way of shaping that, but I'm also looking at this kind of vector, which is not really about being on the left or the right, but seeking some kind of common ground. Now, what's interesting for me is that I find a lot of that common ground um, intellectually, conceptually, theoretically um, has been laid out by the left in terms of left scholarship, in terms of here are the conditions and the ideology of you know, our economic system and how it's driving atomization, how it's creating all of these um, um, uh, forms of social uh, and populist kind of uh, uh, what do you call it, fragmentation, right? So the culture war, for instance, is a kind of product of this hyper-fragmented forms of economy and that drive and incentivize polarization, right? Um, and, so, and so we're dealing with these like psycho-spiritual conditions that are deeply fragmented and sick in some ways. And we don't have any kind of mobilized outlet for social change because as we're saying, I, I have different ar argument for why they're gunked up. I don't think it's the progressives. I think it's the material system itself, right? The sort of mental, rational um, capitalist system itself, which has gunked everything up. This is what it does. It obstructs the ability to change it, right? Um, so, so there's everyone's looking for outlets, right? And we have a lot of ability to participate in terms of vo vocalizing ourselves and representing ourselves or mobilizing on the internet um, and so we have the situation where there's a deeply atomized and alienated culture finding these different polarities to express themselves and engaging in this culture war. Um, and everyone's frustrated, like a lot of leftists are frustrated. Uh, the, the kind of worst behavior on the internet, I think, is stemming out of a kind of a psycho-spiritual sense of alienation and frustration with actually um, uh, finding a path to materializing a better life, right? Or organizing towards a better life. Um, there is a general collective malaise or sense that, you know, things are falling apart and politics isn't working correctly. And it's, you know, representative politics isn't um, what it was used to be at least. Unionization and, and the left feels like, well, every leftist that I know on, 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 um, in my circles are saying this, that there is no left in the United States. There's a cultural, it might be accurate, and this might be good to mention too, in terms of making some discerning terms here. When we're talking about the left and, and actual organized traditions of the left, um, we're not talking about 
progressivism as a kind of cultural center of gravity, let's say like a coastal elitism or something, you know, like you go to your bachelor's, you kind of have this sort of progressive worldview, it's sort of pluralistic, it's definitely kind of st stemmed in a kind of neoliberalism, right, uh, a kind of economic implicit ideology, um, not really looked at, not really examined, I mean, that's the kind of and then we kind of sneer at the Trumpers or something. And then you see those sorts of cultural divides. I would say that is a kind of, yeah, I mean, we could call that progressivism of a culture, a sort of populist cultural progressivism. Um, but in terms of an actual organized substantive left that has a well-developed labor movement uh, um, and, and an extended network that can pressure politicians towards substantive policies, and that has done the legwork of making that kind of mediation between different centers of gravity within the United States, that doesn't exist, right? It, it, it seems to be erupting recently and with the, some success of uh, local electoral politicians in like the DSA, et cetera, like here in St. Pete, we've got Richie Floyd, he made it onto the council, first uh, socialist in Florida in a hundred years or something to make it even a city council. Um, so there's an interest in this, and it's not just, I would say, because of the cultural progressivism, the sort of cultural dimensions of this. I think it is because um, to the degree that there is a left, it's an organized left, right? It's, it's folks who are developing theories of change on the ground and trying to make that kind of mediational bridge between centers of gravity. So they're doing that, um, maybe not as successfully. And then there's this larger issue that you're talking about with capitalism and, and sort of our current economic structure and how that's creating a lot of these conditions in the first place. So we're running up against a lot. Um, I don't know if this is a direct answer to your question, but that's sort of like, yeah, a, a discernment of terminology here, progressivism as a sort of <laughs> cultural, coastal, um, educated center of gravity and making a discernment between that and actual you know, left organizing, labor organization, um, class solidarity, internationalism, et cetera. Those are, those are a little different um, and, very, and sometimes even opposed just in terms of um, you can have the kind of cultural elitism and the signifying of progressivism, like bank, big banks taking a knee or something, um, but not really wanting or, or knowing how to do any kind of substantive policy changes, right? Um, and then you have the class struggle, right? And I think what we've seen in the past 30 or 40 years is a kind of collapse of the left as we've known it that's been associated more with class struggle um, and, and, and definitely had racial uh, and post-colonial struggles in there as well. We look at Martin Luther King, he was bringing that together very powerfully. Um, we've seen a kind of differentiation, right? The collapse of organized labor and an organized left in the United States over the past 40 years and the rise of this sort of cultural expression of the left as progressivism, as um, gender equality, right? Gender equity and gender differences and racial differences, et cetera. So I think a lot of the social movement has been, has been kind of redirected in, in, that, in that space and with a lot of gains. Um, and now what we're seeing in the past five or six years, uh, you know, post 2007, 2008 economic crash um, is the return of understanding, okay, well, we really need to fold back in the class struggle as well. There needs to be a new synthesis. So I would say even on the left, there's this kind of differentiation and reintegration that's happening right now. And they're still figuring that out. Yeah, I guess I would say 
I don't see quite, you know, obviously I'm not in it from that standpoint. So I'm not going to see it to the level of like, you know, granularity that you're going to see it, Jeremy. But I, I think, you know, I think the way that we conceive of these different worldview structures that the, is that there's the larger sort of <clears throat> progressive worldview structure, which is a multi-generational kind of uh, value system that has differentiated itself and is and is you know is it's the larger sort of kind of demographic piece of it and that within that there's different sort of factions and 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 subsets of different value systems that that arise within it and I think um, you know you might be describing a particular channel from within progressivism. And I've, I've heard a lot of folks in the sort of integral world who, who lean left, for example, be really sort of understand that, you know, they kind of differentiate themselves from the kind of cultural uh, progressivism. And I don't think that's fair. I think, um, you know, that, that's like, you know, if, if I was this, you know, extreme sort of, you know, capitalist or something like that, and I said, well, you know, the kind of capitalism I'm talking about is, you know, sort of free market entrepreneurial capitalism. It's not the kind of corporate financialization capitalism. Like that wouldn't be fair of me to take that stance because it's essentially saying I'm taking the bad part, the part that is not healthy, the part that is, um, that has overreached um, and become unhealthy. And I'm, and I'm saying that's not, what I, you know, that, that doesn't represent the views that I, that I hold. And so therefore you can't associate me with any of the, any of the downsides of that sort of subset of, of the worldview that I hold. And, um, and I think that the piece that we have to recognize here is that the, the unhealthy aspects, the pathological aspects, the everything looks like a nail to the hammer that I've learned how to, you know, create aspect of each of these worldviews is a, is a, you know, it's not necessarily a, a necessary downside of them, but it, it, it tends to, over time, pathologize, at least a subset of it pathologizes, and, and, and it is, in, in my sort of integral view, it's the responsibility of that larger worldview, the healthier aspects of that worldview, to own up to and push back against and sort of like critique from within that unhealthy aspect of, of the worldview. So I don't think it's I don't think it's fair to just say that's a subset that doesn't really believe what we believe, and they don't speak for me, um, because I don't think that that is the way that we make our culture healthier. So, you know, we're reacting to the larger cultural identity that is progressivism and its overreach and its externalities and its like you know hypercritical uh, stance of the rest of the culture. And so, um, sure, I'm sure there's healthier version, there's healthy versions of progressivism, healthy versions of the left that are within that. Those folks need to stand up and, and check some of the, these, you know, more illiberal, more reactive uh, wings within their own kind of worldview is, is my take on that. Totally agree. Um, that's what they do. And, and all I'm arguing for is that we see it more complexly. I mean, that's the, right. that's the, that's the point is to see the complexity of 
what we're calling progressivism as something that has many more dynamic things and the 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 actually understanding the significance of the populism the cultural populism of the left the progressivism as understanding that through the mechanics of the most efficient and maybe most integrated version of itself like we want to bring that out right you want to bring right. out the more complex version which has an analysis coming from the left right a critique of the cultural progressive left coming from the left might give us the most substantive challenge for that those problems and also solutions so that's yep. all I'm, that's where i'm coming from yeah yep yeah and, and i agree and i think you know this is something that um we were talking a little about in the uh, in the both in the integral left Facebook group as well as our own post progressive Facebook group is just this idea that you know who has the response oh and we were talking about it on your um, group as well Ryan the meta ideological uh, group is that who has the responsibility to critique um, whatever sort of point of the spectrum you you tend to align yourself with as a as an integralist or as a meta you know approach to these and you know I think it's really important that you kind of critique from within. Um, it's the most challenging thing to do because you get labeled as a heretic or you get, you get sort of projected upon by the larger kind of ideological uh, container. Um, but that's where you can have the most impact is to, is to get sort of your point on the, you know, your point of the spiral, your point on the spectrum to be the healthiest version that it can, to acknowledge that it's, its own, you know, kind of potential pathologies and to address them, um, you know, and, and to address them from within. Because if you don't, then it's just gonna be critiqued from the outside by, by folks who don't understand the positive, you know, the positive parts of that, of that particular political perspective, right? They don't understand what the value of it is. Now, part of what we're trying to do is to get these larger sort of you know, kind of ideological um, worldviews to see the upsides of the others and to critique their own downsides. Um, but that is, uh, you know, that's a, that's a harder move to make than for someone within that ideology to critique its own downsides. Yeah, let me, oh, go ahead, Jeremy. I was just going to say, I I don't know if it's harder or not. It might be harder just by definition. Like, can you really see yourself? You know, can you get the right. uh, different position? Right. Um, but I would just bring up that that is that is the this at least in the in the, the circles I've been speaking with, um, and it's one of the reasons what why I've been engaged in the left is is to kind of draw that out more. Um, particularly, I'm thinking of let's say um, Harvey J.K.'s work. He's a historian, and he focuses a lot on FDR. And his big argument is that we really need to take history back. We can't just say America is this big evil colonial imperialist world power, but actually celebrate the accomplishments of its pluralism, its workers, its history in the 20th century, let's say the FDR camp presidency. Um, and that's his big focus is FDR. So he's, he's really looking at, and I don't know if he would label it this way, but looking at that kind of um, mimetic mediation, really trying to cater to an understanding that, hey, we need to embrace history and tradition the way conservatives do. There is a tradition and a history here, not just a tradition and a history of socialists or Marxists in the United States, but more in this broader sense, right, of workers, people in the United States struggling to recreate the country during a period of difficult 
challenges and economic challenges and war, et cetera. So he's looking at that. How do we retake history? And a lot of other folks on the left are also talking about this with, with respect to religion as well, um, that if we don't integrate these things that are in a broader sense, human values, um, faith, traditions, histories, um, religious beliefs, uh, then, then we, we disown it and then give it to, we, we feed it into the polarization and say, well, the right will take care of that, right? We're secular leftists. We don't want anything to do with organized religion. So that, that polarity is fed into and we do that. So I'm most interested in scholars and thinkers and organizers on the left that are attempting to actually integrate those things that have been disowned, like history and tradition and things that we typically associate with more conservative or with the, with the right. Um, because I think those those end up being very effective when they're when they're thought out well enough and executed well enough. They be, they're very effective mimetic mediators. So so yeah, I don't know. I'm just saying like that does exist. That the conversation yeah, I, is actually yeah, the most I agree. Interesting and I think that's a, that's a really positive move. And I think um, the only the only sort of spin I would put on it is sometimes I, fi I find it to be a little um, and I'm not accusing you of this, Jeremy, but like if it's framed in the standpoint of it's effective, it's framed in the standpoint of this is how we, this is how we win is we sort of learn to integrate these. Um, it seems less sincere to me than just literally learning to integrate those truths because they're truths, because it, it makes you a more um, expansive sort of <laughs> human being who, who understands and can sort of metabolize the entire sort of history and spectrum of, of values that that have come before you in their in their highest most ideal forms so uh, you know um you know for example if it, it, i guess I, I am saying i can i can see it being used as like oh we're going to adopt this sort of language that we we're that's going to sort of appeal to people who are more center or more right-leaning in order to have political victories like that can sometimes to me ring hollow because you're not doing it as a sort of marketing exercise. You know, you should be doing it because you have, you wanna have a more expansive identity a more expansive coalition a more expansive sort of, um, yeah, Those coalition. Of, yeah, of, yeah, the, the, yeah, that would exactly. be the goal. Um, but yeah. I, I bring up, sorry, I bring up the strategy because this, um, it's very often, and that's one of the frustrations of the left right now is there's such, um, um, uh, a, a defocusing on strategy, it more of a focusing right. on position and value right. and signifying right. your value and not on like, okay, let's build something together, right? There's there's so much frustration yep. around that. So that that's yeah. that's the context of that. But I totally agree yeah. with you that it has to be like an authentic synthesis that's coming from this sort of vision of human beings that's far more plurist, pluralistic and in solidarity. I mean, Martin Luther King for me, is one of these great exemplars of somebody who was doing that in, in his own in his own history. Um, you know, at the end of his life, he was headed towards um, you know when he was assassinated, he was headed towards a, a, a I think a, a union strike or a, or a unionization effort. Um, so, you know, bringing those worlds together in this greater uh, universal spirit or pluralistic spirit is very important. Um, I would say Cornel West is another example for me in. in and his sort of synthesis of these religious and Christian values, and then also these profoundly democratic and, and left-leaning um, um, articulations. So, yeah, let me, yeah, no, I think that's important. Let, let me just jump in Please here real quickly because it seems like 
you know, there's a couple of tensions that I'm tracking here. And, and this one that just came up, I think is really interesting, right? Which is how do we think about what the end goals are in our political advocacy and that underpin these movements, right? Like, are we talking about trying to strategically galvanize a large enough majority to converge tangibly towards substantive policy reforms that transform our systemic and institutional and material realities, right? That transform our economic reality that can institute whatever Green New Deal, universal health care, living wage, and the wars and the drug wars, et cetera, all these kind of, you know, the typical progressive Bernie Sanders-esque platform. Uh, and, and Josh, what you're saying, what you're highlighting, right, is there is a strategic component, but there's also the goal of a genuine integration, right? The kind of birthing of integral consciousness and culture, both individually and collectively, and genuinely being able to integrate and synthesize and metabolize all of these worldviews and values and perspectives and to integrate into this kind of diaphanous integral wholeness, to put a Gibserian spin on, right? That also should be kind of the primary goal. So it doesn't seem like an insincere Machiavellian attempt to simply win a majority of voters to push your agenda, right? So how do we balance, you know, this tension of there's a developmental component when engaging with, you know, integral ideas or post-progressive uh, philosophies, right? There's a, there's a, there's a self-expansion, self-growth component, which can lead to a healthier culture at large and overcome the hyperpolarization division that we've trapped ourselves in. But at the same time, there's a tension of, but I think we both, we all agree here, even if we have different policies that we support, that there needs to be an element of tangible material transformation backed up by effective and sound policies that can help make the world a better place for everyone, right? So, so to either one of you, like, how do you think about kind of balancing that tension and what goals, you know, should be, we should be prioritizing, if that makes sense. Um, I, I would say, you're saying, just so I'm clear, like, there's the, there's the individual kind of integral experiment, right? Is that what you're saying, where you're, you're embodying these different, these, these, these different values in, within yourself and learning to sort of expand your own self concept. And then there's the sort of, political action sort of part of it? Is that what you're differentiating? Did I misunderstand? Yeah, yeah. There, there's, there's this aspect, there's the process that's important, right? The process of of imbibing, mm. right? Of, of, of attempting to cultivate a post-progressive or genuinely yeah. integral yeah. self. But, but also like, you know, I, I know that you guys at post-progressive post talk about strategy, right? It's all kind of feeds into, you guys are advocating for specific policies that you think would A, make the world a better place and B, can can uh, attract a diverse range of worldviews and values polarities too, right? So yep. there is a strategic yep. component there and a practical component there too. Yep. Yeah, I don't think they're necessarily, uh, you know, divorced in the way that we would talk about it in the post-progressive project or post-progressive post, because, um, you know, our policy pieces, these sort of mini policy pieces that we're doing are, um, you know, they're designed behind this idea of sort of stakeholder integration. So if, if, you, if you think of these different, you know, worldviews as stakeholders in our democracy, um, uh, and you, uh, what we're trying to do is create policy pieces that provide some sort of win and enactment of the values for each of these different three major worldviews. Um, and so we've put forth these mini policy pieces. Um, the, the whole idea is that we're, 
it's just we're we're stuck, right? We clearly are at a time, and this is the place where I'm sure all of us, you know, wherever we come from, you know, kind of on the political spectrum can agree. We're at a place where we have to make some changes fairly quickly uh, if we're going to be able to stave off uh, some some impending disasters, right? And there's you know there's sociological disasters and there's environmental disasters and there's um, you know, uh, all, all kinds of, you know, there's technological disasters that, we, and, and I'm not, you know, I, I think we can go a little bit far too into the kind of crisis porn uh, stuff too. So I, I think we have to be careful to recognize that like human beings adapt, you know, we, we often find ways to make our way around some of these challenges, but, you know, in particular, the climate crisis is, is bearing down on us pretty quickly. And so the idea that we can, um, we can just continue to sort of factionalize and fight each other uh, from within uh, for another couple decades um, is 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 untenable. And so we're trying to get, you know, what is, what are the ways in which we can move forward now? What are the ways in which we can enact just using the you know existing kind of values and political perspectives of these different um, stakeholders that we can get some forward movement. Um, that in its in and of itself would likely depolarize some of our cultural sort of infighting because um, you know right now that polarization is uh, is working in such a way that it's keeping us stuck and keeping us from moving forward in certain ways. So sure, would I like to see like you know ultimately I think we're focusing at the, at the post progressive post on more of the include side than we are the transcend side. And I think if we could get to a point where we had a healthier dynamic, between, you know, if the culture war had sort of toned down a little bit, if people were starting to sort of see that, you know, my political opponent is not my enemy um, and to understand the values that they're trying to enact and we can move forward, then we could start to move to some more innovative sort of um, evolutions of, of society and economics and, you know, how we, how we relate with the world and all of that stuff. But right now we just feel like we've got to break the gridlock. And to do that, it means strategically focusing more on the include side, which is why our policy pieces are really, you know, they're, they're not these pie in the sky policy pieces that are, you know, we have no idea whether or not they're going to work and they're more innovative and they're more speculative. These are practical uh, political solutions that we think um, speak to the political values of of these three different stakeholders in, in the in the worldviews. Uh, Ryan, could you repeat the question? Um, are, is this about like what to focus on presently in terms of kind of how you think about harmonizing or balancing mm -hmm. the practical strategic component, right, to converge towards practical, tangible policy transformations? with the more spiritual consciousness oriented, shall we call it developmental, um, you know, birthing of the integral structure side of things, right? Where if you only frame it in terms of strategy, it can, it can come across as a little bit like insincere, like you're not integrating different perspectives uh, genuinely as an expression of integrality. You're doing it to win, right? You're doing it to push your agenda and signal that you get other people's worldview so that you can get them to vote for what you believe. You, you see what I'm saying? So how do you kind of, but the strategic component, I think, is always there. 
right? For us, the consciousness component, that's very important, the spiritual component, right? And I know, Jeremy, you've done a lot of, you played a big role mediating between people who are from a traditional, you know, Marxist kind of material worldview with an integrating consciousness studies, integrating, you know, integral theory and so forth. And there's an implicit tension there. So I'm wondering how do you personally work with that? And, and how do you think the left should integrate that as we're trying to cultivate this integral left? Yeah, so so I think a lot of this actually is is similar in a sort of intra-left conversation in terms of inclusiveness and and basically creating these conversations in a more pluralistic context because I think a lot of the um, the secularity of the left tends to be drawn from its particular historical traditions and you know let's say um, secular Marxism and the kind of movements that have occurred there but really sort of extending that into other traditions on the left that have, you know, folded in various religious traditions such as liberation theology in Latin America, we brought that up before. Um, so having those dialogues, I think is extremely important right now and just understanding that building solidarity and building a kind of confederation of um, individuals, organizations, movements that are attempting to do things locally, but also have a wider global scope of human solidarity, that there's room for spirituality in there, even if folks who are more on the secular side of things are not necessarily going to completely go all the way in, in terms of um, um, kind of religious or, or spiritual imagination, it's still there, right? So I'm interested in seeing that begin to happen more because I think there's a lot of integration that needs to occur there. Um, really about these mediational points between history, tradition, religion, and finding ways to integrate that on uh, and, and kind of create a healthier left, which I think ultimately, even if we take that framework of like dialectical movement, will help things begin to move again, right? A healthier left will certainly be one that actually doesn't feed as much into the cultural polarization, but is actually kind of um, upping the game in a way and going like, okay, yeah, I've like, we are integrating spirituality, right? We are integrating, I don't know, um, world-centric values and aspiration of human solidarity across the planet. This has been deconstructed, right? There, there's a lot of tensions about that on the left about like, can we, should we embrace modernist values, right? Or should we throw it all out, right? Um, should we topple it, up, topple it like we topple the statues, right? It's a, it's a kind of iconoclasm. So those are the tensions I'm interested in, in finding mediations for on the left in terms of the intra um, remediation of the left. But I think the larger, uh, the larger questions is obviously it has to be extremely complex and the, our approach has to be very fluid, understanding that the long-term goals is the social transformation of society, the more integration of these spiritual values with the material, but then the more local and the more immediate are does look like, you know, okay, well, there's labor um, organization going on all over the world right now, but particularly in October, right, with Striketober happening. So there's sort of like a hyper-local situatedness of our historical context, what's going on in the present, who's on the ballot box, right, what kind of cultural movements are happening right now, how do we mediate those holding the complexity of this longer transformational arc, right, and being able to move back and forth between not just the local global context, but also the immediate and then also long-term transformative context of understanding the depth and critique of let's say capitalism and understanding that we wanna to get to a post-capitalist world, but there's a lot of steps to get there, right? There's, there's, a, there's a, a bridge to be built there. Um, 
so yeah, holding the two, holding the two and the practice of holding the two, not getting entrenched in one position or the other, right? One view or the other, that flexibility and fluidity, um, which is able to hold complexity, I think is the most important thing. You know, it's the one thing we can all kind of focus on practicing. Yeah, great. So there's another, there's another thing I want to bring up and Josh, you know, several, you know, a little bit ago, you had mentioned that, uh, you know, Jeremy, given his involvement, given his deep involvement in leftist circles and leftist communities, um, might have a more granular, more specific uh, understanding of leftist ideas and all, you know, the diverse, rich ecology of leftist ideologies and movements that all fit under the label under the umbrella term of left, right? So one question I have is, what is really the most effective and most, you know, just, just the best level of abstraction or level of generality that we should operate with or operate on, you know, when we're thinking about these kind of integral movements, right? I mean, so I, I guess to phrase this practically, let me start with you, Josh, because um, post part of post-progressivism, right, is about integrating and harnessing the key insights and key values of all these different worldviews, all of these different ideologies. And so I guess my question is, how do you personally, or you can either phrase this, you can either say like, how do you personally do this or how ideally, how should we engage with leftist content, right? How do you, how do you engage with all of the diverse thinkers on there, whether they're more of an identitarian, intersectionally focused leftist critiques, right? More of a cult, more focusing on cultural issues and identity issues, or whether it's more like Marxist or structural economic critiques of capitalism and so forth, right? How do you go about engaging with all this diverse and very rich literature? And the second question is, how do you know that you've adequately steel manned those insights or adequately grokked those perspectives and have a high resolution understanding of them so that you can then extract and integrate these key insights and ideas uh, that emanate from leftist literature and discourse. Yeah, so um, I think I, I, I think there is a level of granularity that that is is um, is not useful to try and sort of like integrate. I think I think the way that I would approach that, the way that I would say we're trying to do that is you know, to actually zoom out far enough to get the overall shape of what this particular worldview or value system looks like, in part because that's the level at which most, let's just take, you know, the U.S., that's the level at which most people in the U.S. are abstracting these different ideologies. They're not, you know, you know, they're not like, you know, maybe you, Ryan, on economics, where you're you're always diving in, you dove in deep on these different economic models and systems and how they work and how they function. And you, you've done some scholarship around that. And Jeremy, you've certainly done a ton of scholarship on a lot of different topics, but, you know, sort of uh, leftist side, you know, leftist politics and, and economics, you've done a deep dive on that. That's great. We need people who, who can do that. Um, and, and I would say, to me, the value of that level of granularity is again from within those different like spheres and conversations that you should be able to articulate that and show how it integrates in and show where those tensions are from within that larger worldview. But I don't think it's useful or even really possible for for and for myself as an integralist who's trying to be post-progressive to have that level of granularity within each of these different sort of 
value systems or worldviews or or spheres of knowledge or whatever it is. I think the the um, I think the the vast majority of the polarization that we're seeing is happening at a level that you can sort of zoom out a little bit and abstract and say, okay, I get it. I see how these cohere. Like we've got these four different, you know, value systems that we've articulated on the post-progressive post. Um, and, you know, you can see the kind of upsides and positive values and goals of each of these four. And you can see the downsides, potential negatives, potential pathologies of each of them. It's fairly easy to grok at that level. And you can always go in further but I don't think it's necessary to go in deeper in order to actually like um, try to integrate them and uh, in, in terms of policy or whatever, or to try and like get some mediation and get some, some positive sort of movement and people to recognize the, the shape of these value systems and other people and to, and to, and to see that and to try to um, be more inclusive of those different perspectives. So, you know, one of the things that we often say is that political positions can't always be integrated, but political values can be. And so that's the level at which we're trying, trying to do this. We're not trying to say that these, you know, 10 different forms of, of sort of leftist ideology and these 10 different forms of uh, right ideology can all be integrated together in some perfect policy piece that matches each of the different points. That's, that's not possible. But it is possible to zoom out, understand the larger values that are driving these points of view, and to try and integrate them in a way that allows some positive movement, that allows people to feel like they're in this larger, um, they're in this larger collaborative that's working for positive change going forward. Does that does that make sense? Let me let me I just, just sure, yeah. Let me yeah. let me just make sure I'm understanding you. So part of the reason why you think that the zooming out and, and seeing these more generalized polarities at, at play here in the culture wars is helpful. One, you said, because the for the average person, right? That's kind of the spirit. That's kind of the general attitude that we want to cultivate because not everyone is a nerd like me, right? Who wants to like, oh, let's go through all of the, you know, I have a lot of time. I'm going to read through all these books. I got, you know, Das Kapital on one hand and um, Ludwig von Mises on the other hand. Yeah, the average person is not going to do that. Okay, right. Uh, they're not a weirdo like myself, um, and but I'm I'm curious though. Do you think there, from a from a strategic perspective too, right? You said values um, or interests can always be integrated, can always be acknowledged. But when it comes to specific positions, this is a mediation idea of interests, underlying interests and values versus service positions. Positions can't always they they tend to be mutually exclusive, especially when instantiated concretely in a policy. Yep. But do you do you think there's a a personal value, a personal developmental consciousness expanding, perspective expanding value of engaging with that granularity to play with more specific ideas? Like, like regardless of yeah. its practicality, do you think there's yeah. still a positive aspect of doing that for you personally? Yes, absolutely. And I was going to say, when you were describing sort of your, your nerddom in these particular areas that, you know, uh, there's huge personal value in doing that and, and to wrestling with these concepts and trying to figure out, you know, how would they intersect or what do they represent and how would you move forward on these um, in a practical way by trying to integrate them in a more complex way. Absolutely, there's there's huge personal value in doing that. And, you know, I, I have to say that like when, so I kind of took a, a, a long break from Integral before I got this current job. I was just, you know, I, I, I had absorbed a lot of it for, for many, many years when I was a younger person and then decided it was time to kind of put it in play, put it into my life and, you know, focused on my career, focused on my family, focused on my local friends, and then kind of, 
only recently have started to really say, I want to dive back into this world and I want to get more involved. I think this is the solution to politics that we need. So when I, you know, got this job and I was kind of catching up with all the different factions of the integral world and, you know, catching up on the IDW and catching up on the right and where all, you know, where all these sort of micro perspectives have gone, have, have um, gone in the time that I wasn't paying attention. Um, it was huge. It was very consciousness raising to do that, right? Just to, just to sort of like get these different positions and see how they fit together and see which parts of them I agreed with and made sense to me and which ones of them felt unhealthy. Like there's a, there's a huge value in doing that personally. I just don't think it's necessary to do that to create the kind of forward movement politically that we're trying to create. Um, at the at, at the post progressive post. Got it. Cool. How about for you, Jeremy? Because because I in one of the Facebook threads, you had responded. You said, "Well, there's the left, but we need to get more specific, right? The left is a is very you know contains so many diverse movements and ideologies and camps and perspectives." And then you kind of were breaking it down, right? There was kind of the you know Sri Aurobindo's revolution pre you know integral you know revolutionary kind of leftist advocacy, right? There, there's a whole tradition of leftist literature and scholarship. And I think you were kind of touting the importance of really engaging very specifically with all of these diverse ideas. So how do you think about the right level of abstraction or granularity with which we should be engaging with these deeper polarities of left and right that Josh was just uh, articulating? Yeah, good question. Uh, for me, it's not so much a, a framing of granularity or specificity, but uh, depth immersion. Um, I, I think getting to the, the the spirit of the constellation of different traditions, like you may not need to label them all or having having to read every particular book and subset of leftist traditions, but just kind of rolling around, just steeping yourself in it for a while and getting a, a kind of spirit, a fluency, um, a, a sense of the whole. So you can bring that depth to that more big picture analysis, because I, I think if we don't do that, we end up missing the core of, of, of those particular traditions or constellations of traditions. Um, we're not able to synthesize because, and this is just, you know, again, uh, the way I've reacted or bumped up against more centrist positions in, in the integral world is like, I don't really feel like this overview is really touching on where I'm coming from or touching on rolling around in this for a while. And so it, may, it brings into question, well, how well does that kind of top-down perspective really work if you're not really rolling around in it? Um, and where are we rolling around in, in terms of like, you have to start thinking about your own kind of political ideology and leanings and where all that, where that constellation of meaning and historicity comes from, right? So, so I, think, I think that's more of what it's about, kind of jumping in the deep end and maybe not staying for very long, but being able to do that, to come in and out again, is that flexibility and um, uh, steeping roots tradition in some ways, seeing the left not as something that's kind of emergent or only at the surface or only focus on the novel or the future, but something that has a history um, and, and has certain sensibilities, right? Really internalizing them, like going into the population, learning the language to some degree or, or the gestures and so when you come away from that, then you get a better sense of what, what that's all about. And you might be in a better position to, to actually critique and provide synthesis for, right? And I, I think this is, this, 
scales in terms of, or it's fractal in the sense of um, we're talking about a, a, you know this particular field or, or his, history, um, uh, but we could talk about anything really. You could talk about, well, how do you reach this particular community that wants to unionize in this particular town in the middle of the United States? You have to really go there and develop a relationship with it, right? And get to know all of the different positions and map out the particular network of, of um, community leaders and, and where everyone's kind of coming from to be able to kind of go, okay, well, here's how we, here's how we actually like work with this. Here's where these folks are coming from. Um, so it, I think it, it's that kind of applicability, depth and, and steeping and immersion. Beautiful. So, so my question to you kind of as the, the equivalent of what I asked Josh is, so, you know, the steeping, this rolling around, right, this, this grokking, this imbibing that happens from really engaging both with the literature and with the theory and with people, individuals and communities who are, who are working, you know, in terms of union organizing, in terms of grassroots uh, activist movements and so forth. I'm wondering how you think of that applying it to right movements or conservative movements, right? What is your process like if, if you have one of, you know, steeping yourself and imbibing yourself in, you know, traditional conservative ideas, right? In these heritage values, right? Um, in these socially conservative ideas that we may very literally completely disagree with. And how do you also think about the more libertarian angle, right? The, the uh, critiques of socialism, the critiques of Marxism, of which there are many, right? The critiques of the dangers of top-down government intervention, overly constraining complex economic systems for which markets might be able to, as a decentralized mechanism, better distribute resources, right? Like, how do you engage with these critiques? And how do you think, of, how do you apply that idea of rolling around and imbibing and grokking when it comes to perspectives that you may completely disagree with practically? that's like it's like yoga right it's stretching um and, and what i try to do and i i obviously do not do it enough and I, I feel like i can always be better at it but it's taking those positions it's reading their works it's kind of steeping myself in their language and framing and media narratives um and i i, I kind of tend not to do that as much anymore in terms of the top surface level popular media narratives and i try to go more into okay who's actually writing the theory um who uh, what's fun on the left and this ends up not being always so great, but there's a lot of debates, always debates, folks on the right, uh, conservative econ economists, right, capitalists, libertarians, everyone likes to debate each other um, in these in these circles. But what's fun about that is you really kind of get a whole constellation of like arguments and positions, etc, that they end up being rabbit holes into the other side. Um, so so I really like watching those kinds of exchanges and, and they're usually outlets for me to kind of jump in and start reading, I don't know, um, a more conservative framework or alignment. I used to do, do this a lot more. Um, but, but the thing is like, I, I think the fun thing is having that anchor, right? Like, okay, I'm, my anchor is in this sort of depthful tradition, this, this steeping and immersion of the left. But I can really have fun and go in here for a while and stretch myself like a rubber band and then snap back. And I think that that movement actually creates insight and actually creates room for that integration. So just as a practice is what I aspire to do. Um, again, I could do it probably a lot more than that than I than I tend to um, as of late. But um, but but that that actually I think is is that capacity for empathy and perspective taking, and it's obviously deeply vital if you're going to actually be an effective person on the left um and so on but yeah yeah so so one more follow-up with that jeremy because you know people here people who know me know that i'm kind of an extremist it's kind of a idiosyncratic hobby of mine 
to infiltrate the most radical, bizarre, you know, flat earth, QAnon, conspiratorial, goofy, you know, kind of communities and really start talking to them and kind of like seeing what makes them tick. And right, it's kind of a, I don't expect everyone to do that, but it's just something I enjoy doing and thinking about. And I do think it's important in a time where there's so much cultural balkanization, everyone's ensconced in their own little echo chamber and bubble. So to shatter that bubble and to radically imbibe differing perspective, I think is very helpful. You know, yoga, it's a spiritual exercise. And so in your time of doing that, Jeremy, right, specifically at the object level, I'm curious what insights, what perspectives, what values you've taken away from the right that you think are important, that should be preserved and valorized in a healthy form, and that an integral left should try or make a better effort to try to unfold consciously. Yeah, I think I spoke to this a little bit earlier, but but uh, certainly um, the left could be far more comfortable working with American history and tradition. And um, really not just, again, redefining that in terms of more left-leaning histories, which is, which is one way to do it. And I don't think that's a bad way either, but really kind of celebrating the accomplishments in a more ge general, broad-reaching sense, right? Like what were the, the accomplishments, in, let's say, in the 20th century with all of these moves to create the weekend, right? We have a work week. Um, the, these are struggles of working-class Americans to do these things, right? Um, so, so I think really celebrating our history and seeing it as the beginning of um, a much more, far more democratic world, right? Because I think a lot of the, the, the issues on the left come from uh, really attacking our history, really saying how horrible it was. And that, that all, all of that is true, but I think part of the way of having a broader reach and um, um, a, a deeper sense of solidarity with national history and mobilization to actually make these changes is kind of getting the spirit of it. Like it's aspirational, it's prefigurative, right? Democracy wasn't for everyone in our history, but it could be, right? And it was a beginning. So I, I feel like there's just ways to reposition a lot of the critiques after we critique into this broader sense of uh, what we could accomplish together and what we already have accomplished. And we have to be comfortable with that. And, and that's the difficult part, the part you wanna like knee jerk, no, 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 no. There's this imperial history, there's this, you know, indigenous genocide, all of those things are re realities, you know, like we should read a, an indigenous people's history of the United States by Dunbar Ortiz, et cetera. Like, yeah, but um, there needs to be more of a, a, um, a celebration of possibility and exp social experimentation and an aspiration toward democratic freedom um, that clearly has been also a part of our history. We need to be able to do that genuinely. Um, we need to be able to talk about that genuinely without throwing up a little bit. And I know on the left, that's hard to do. So that's where, I, that's where I've begun to really see um, the growing spaces for, for the contemporary left is really finding that ability to integrate tradition, integrate um, history in terms of a national history. And as I was mentioning earlier, kind of religion, et cetera. Um, one other thing might be just in the context of empathy taking, because a lot of this is about empathy taking, um, really kind of getting a, a sense of where folks who are mobilizing and organizing on the populist right are coming from, like um, the DRT phenomena. Can we like kind of go, can we trace that down more to its roots or the QAnon phenomena? Like where, what are these communities and folks really getting out of these kind of sometimes very quirky visions of, of, of reality, but like forget about the, 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 um, the kind of um, judgment on them and, and get more into a sense of where they're coming from. 
um, I think that empathy taking is really important. It needs to be emphasized more. And that's certainly what I've been learning from engaging outside of the left. Yeah. Uh, Josh, any, any general response to anything Jeremy said? Well, I think, um, I think Jeremy has sort of, you know, to some sense included some of the pieces that I think the left um, needs to be working on in order to become the most healthy version of itself. Um, I think it goes a little bit um, deeper in terms of the history piece, but I think the history piece is one of them. I think finding, a, you know, I think this idea that um, sort of anti-American, anti-history approach that has, you know, kind of uh, become a larger and larger part of the left's critique uh, of, of modernity in particular is, um, it's, it's the, probably the part that needs to be most worked on and most integrated because it is, it is vastly out of step with the way that most people think of themselves <laughs> in, in, in any country. I think that there's a, there's a natural patriotism, there's a healthy patriotism that is gonna be um, a part of any kind of moving forward as a healthy society is this idea that we're in this together, we're part of this narrative, this historical narrative together, that we are progressing as a country, um, you know, with a history and a present and a future that we're working towards. And so I, I thoroughly encourage, you know, anyone who from the left is working to integrate sort of a historical a narrative that, that they can get behind and also resonates with the larger sort of more patriotic, you know, center and, and right in, in the country. And I also think the religion piece or the spirituality piece is another important one that needs to be integrated. I mean, um, Steve has made the argument and I think it's a, Steve McIntosh has made the argument. I think it's a really strong one that, you know, part of, you know, essentially that, that a, a big part of sort of Christian America hired Donald Trump to be their cultural bodyguard because they felt the sort of judgment and estrangement from this kind of growing secular left that um, that their that their sort of religious views were backwards and misplaced and and I'm not saying that you know Jeremy you've ever expressed that or anything like that but I think there there's a you know that was the feeling in part that drove uh, mainstream kind of Christian America to embrace Donald Trump despite the fact that he did not in almost any way express their actual kind of religious values in his own personal, you know, in his own personal foibles. So um, in order to, you know, in order to keep that from continuing to happen, I think that um, that, that uh, sort of cynicism towards uh, the religious impulse uh, on, on, on the left needs to be checked. Um, it's an important, you know, it's, an, it's going to be an important way that we're going to be able to move forward as a, as a society. Yeah, uh, agreed there. I think, um, you know, the, from what I've been studying, what, what I know about the interesting remixing of tradition and, 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 and activism and revolution, I, I think some of the most successful ones, this is sort of me borrowing from David Graeber, but some of the most successful movements internationally have been uh, because of their synthesis of tradition, locality, and revolution, right? 
um, thinking of the Zapatistas, I'm thinking of um, even William Irwin Thompson's like doctoral work on the imagination of an insurrection in, in Ireland, in the sense of kind of bringing those histories into the context of tr social transformation, um, really kind of holding those two together, I think is very important and it's not done enough uh, by a long shot. Um, I guess my only distinction would be um, a layer to that maybe in addition to that would be um, again, the, the, the depthful critique that um, the left can bring to understanding and empathy taking for, let's say, Trump voters uh, is in its capacity to sort of understand those historical dynamics, the, um, uh, you know, globalization process and uh, the loss of jobs and, you know, the, the Rust Belt, quote unquote, which is, I don't even know if that, like, I'm a coaster, so I'm prob I probably shouldn't even be using that word, right? Um, but the, the loss of jobs and opportunities and, and economic um, uh, affluence in so much of the United States, the, states, the, uh, the opioid epidemic, right? So many things have really contributed to this economic, social, spiritual depression. And then the elitism of the sort of more centrist, neoliberal coastal elite looking down on these, you know, barbarians in a sense, these, these you know, mainland barbarians coming in with these very um, uncouth values. So there was a lot feeding into that. I guess I'm saying there, there's economic dimensions. And then of course, um, um, the, the sort of cultural left kind of seeing and judging so harshly uh, the, the conservatives as well, but they all play into each other, I guess is what I'm yep. saying. Yep. Right. So we seem to be winding down naturally here towards kind of common ground or some convergence. I want to end by, and this has been covered, so in some ways this is a redundant question, but I want to end by asking both of you, giving both of you the opportunity to ask each other, you know, where where our camps, our respective camps can be stretched a little bit, right? Like kind of like a challenge or provocation to, to growth here. So Jeremy, let me start with you. Uh, for people who identify with the post-progressive label and, and very much take on that philosophy, where's an area that you think they can stretch themselves and grow, you know, intellectually and philosophically and spiritually in, in regards to everything we talked about? I, I think yeah, this, I, I've sort of iterated this, but uh, maybe to sort of create it as a, as a sort of pointed question, um, more immersion in, in the deeper critique and analysis coming from the left. I would like to see that because I haven't seen that really coming from uh, more post-progressive and, and centrist oriented positions. Um, there's a lot of givens I feel that are still kind of implicitly in there, particularly when it comes to economics and class dynamics. Um, I'm not talking about the granula granularity, but really the kind of deep analysis of what's going on in our, in our culture with economic, um, again, um, atomization, capitalism, alienation, and the culture wars. There's a really, really deep analysis that comes from the left that I haven't seen addressed. And I see that represented in this kind of blurring the lines between cultural progressives and, and the left as a whole, because it has some really essential um, insight here that, is, that could potentially be very transformative. And I would love to see more, at least engagement with that. And actually that's where I would love to see um, uh, critique and responses to. Like, I think I would be more open to um, a post-progressive orientation if I were able to engage at that level, that depthful level, going like, okay, you see what we're doing here overall. And um, 
you're also offering another way through this, right? I would really like that. Awesome. How about for you, Josh? What what's um, what would be your your challenge, right? Your growthful push for the uh, the integral left for people who are more or less of that bent. Yeah, and I, I hope I'm not caricaturizing when I when I suggest this. So um, this may not apply to you specifically, Jeremy. But I guess what I would say is is um, if you are going to be both integral and leftist, I would challenge. Um, I would challenge you to a be very careful about adopting old, essentially un, <laughs> unsuccessfully proven political ideologies, um, and, and raising those up as a sort of a utopian ideal. Uh, and instead, I would I would challenge you to sort of emphasize the include in transcend and include, and and to um, find ways that we can build on the best of what's come before, build on the best of market economies, build the best on tra of traditionalism. Um, and, and to, you know, I challenge the sort of the, the revolutionary approach of sort of break what's come before in order to rebuild something new, that that is to me, that is antithetical to the sort of integral sensibilities that we, um, we need to be able to, correct and evolve and uh you know sure reconfigure going forward but how do we actually not become anti-modern not become anti-traditionalism as we move forward how do we bring the truths of those economic you know sort of realities the truths of those um worldview uh perspectives into a, a, a future that is of course in many ways liberalizing and becoming more pluralistic and becoming more um you know, uh, more more liberal in, in that sense, but but that we don't reject the best of what has come before, but we build on top of it and integrate it. Right, and then Jeremy, if you want to say anything quickly in response to that, go ahead. Oh, great. I mean, yes, I, I agree. Uh, revolution isn't always the shouldn't be the the ready the ready position, um, and that is something that that leftists we have that conversation all the time, and I agree with folks who critique it. You know that the left, um, the revolution isn't around the corner, you know, it's not going to solve everything. Um, that's the big, that's the, 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 the aspiration, right? But I think um, in terms of where we are, I was already mentioning this earlier, there's, there's, there's a bridge to be built between this world and something that's better. And that requires us to really work with what's at hand and what's present and working to transform that. Um, we'll take phases and steps and sometimes jumps, but a lot of the time it's it's really kind of building that bridge right um rebuilding the labor movement is is a long-term thing that needs to happen it's it's something that will probably take years and unfortunately we're kind of in a period of time where time has really condensed in terms of being able to do something about all the crises are happening and nevertheless you know labor movement building social movement building mobilizing versus organizing, making that distinction. It takes a long time. It takes understanding the local community level and it takes building larger solidarities in an international level. So um, yeah, I mean, I'm not in disagreement there. I really like uh, maybe one example for you is um, Kim Stanley Robinson's, uh, I don't know if you've read it, The Ministry for the Future. And um, in some interviews, he's talked about this as somebody who, he is somebody who is particularly 
more drawn to the left. I think he says he really agrees with a lot of socialist and left theories, but he wouldn't call himself one. And um, I'm playfully calling myself an integral leftist, but I don't know how deeply I would say like, I am a socialist, I'm, I'm a Marxist. Um, I found a lot of insight from socialism and Marxism. But at any rate, that, that's the secondary point. His main understanding of this is that this is a transitional thing, right? Like we're gonna, what's the strategy? What are the steps? Can we move from a kind of uh, return to Keynesianism, to social democracy, to democratic socialism, to whatever post-capitalist system could emerge? And that is something that we can hardly imagine presently. Um, so I think some of the some of the most immediate things to do, for me anyway, like if, if I had a kind of think tank or, or something, um, um, it, it would be to help support uh, these movements for the democratization of work and worker cooperatives and new structures of work and relationships to, um, you know, confederations of, of, uh, of worker cooperatives. How do, we, how do we build a much more democratized sense of our economy where people can participate and those nuances can be brought in? And how do we popularize that? Um, I think it's already on its way, uh, but in terms of ways to, de uh, let's see, depolarize our world, I think it's in those directions, democratizing work, exploring these alternatives, these exit strategies like peer-to-peer -peer and the commons practices, recommoning, et cetera. I think those all become very important and not, nothing, nothing really left about them in, in, a, in a sense, right? There's something literally, a commoning, a common ground how do we build that together? How do we work together? I think those should be the emphases. Um, the left should be in some ways um, making itself obsolete in, the, in that sense, right? It, we're speaking to a larger vision that everyone has to live in. So what does that look like? Yeah, I wanna just um, you know, respond to what you had initially said as sort of your challenge to post-progressivism and, and, and say that I, I think um, the challenge from the left that is important for those of us in the sort of post-progressive approach to take is to is to um, not get lost in the status quo, right? I mean, I think that is the idea that we're, we become complacent, um, and uh, and and that sort of in our quest for some level of stability and sort of you know social solidarity that allows us to move forward as a country. Um, that we, uh, that can, it, it, you know, a pathology of that could be stasis, right? Could be, you know, kind of the inability to move forward and recognize the ways in which we absolutely have to make some changes and have to evolve. So I take that challenge. And I think that's something that we are, we're at the Institute for Cultural Evolution are really trying to um, remember is that the way things are is, you know, is, is not working, um, but that we need to, as we try to move forward into that future, we have to preserve some of the things that are absolutely working and that have provided, um, you know, that sort of social stability that we've had uh, for, for many, many years. So I take your point. Awesome, awesome. And um, before we close out here, I just want to also say that for me, the the meta ideological approach to all of this, and kind of my own my own plug, you know, interest. It was interesting for me to hear the back and forth here, and some of the tensions, and kind of where where my bias starts kicking in one way or the other, where I agree, where I disagree. I think for me, I you know, Jeremy, I, I resonate a lot with this emphasis on you know the rolling around, the imbibing, the depth, right, the steel manning, the titanium manning, right, being able to engage with 
very specific ideologies at a very granular level, right? Um, and really harnessing specific insights for, for me to play with and for me to metabolize and think about, um, whether it's just for my own growth as a person, right? As someone who wants to stretch my perspective and someone who also wants to hopefully generate these really groundbreaking policy ideas and then eventually instantiate them at some, some level of a government or another, whether it's local or, or federal, right? Um, I think for me, yeah, the the post-progressive vision, the part of that that resonates with me, right, is the kind of bigger picture and the zooming out. So I would say I'm a kind of all the way zooming out at the meta level and all the way zooming in at the specific level. I think the third thing I would add in to kind of put the, you know, the cherry on top, right, to put a bow on it is the community level of really going out and then engaging with people from diverse political communities and backgrounds and cultures and to really make sure that I'm steel manning and imbibing their values and their worldview and their ideology as they see it, right? I want to engage with them on their own terms and put aside all of my biases, my judgments, my um, you know, ideological predispositions so that I can fully empathize, right? That Jeremy, you're talking about acting with empathy and getting their confirmation that I get what they're saying, right? Getting their confirmation intersubjectively that I understand them. And, and, and they can validate me in that way and I can validate them in that way. So I would say, so it's, there's, you know, an emphasis on book learning and intellectual development and continually grokking and steel mining these perspectives. And then for me, ultimately it's grounded in the intersubjective zones that's used in a way to really build community that transcends the polarization that we're experiencing. And for me, it's particularly at the local level that I'm most attracted to, right? How do I engage with my local Black Lives Matter anti-racist groups that I work with and consult with? How do I work with my local, you know, uh, you know conservative religious groups, my, my more libertarian-leaning business community, uh, so that all the stakeholders in my community can not only feel like they're being heard, but their interests are advocated for in a way that produces positive ripple effects and positive externalities for everyone in the community. So that's kind of my my vision. So I want to say thank you. Thank you uh, to both of you. I thought you were both fantastic dialogue partners and uh, really appreciate you all, you know, you both coming on and thank you everyone for watching. And I also want to say uh, anyone else, if you want to call someone out or have a you know full on debate or a gentle dialogue or exploration of difference um, from a different community, I am more than happy to try to be the you know, mediator or moderator or facilitator of that. So let me know. And uh, yeah, thank you, both of you. I thought I, I really like both of you guys a lot and hope to continue cultivating our friendship and continually steel manning both the integral left approach and the post-progressive approach. So thank you, guys. Likewise, it was a pleasure. I really enjoyed it, guys. Thank you for the opportunity, Brian. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Josh. Great.